Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Off the Scribe podcast available on all podcasting platforms. And I have with me a very special guest, uh, an artist uh, of all different types of medium uh, called Lois Songster. How are you, Lois? Hi, I'm doing great. Um, I love chatting with you. I'm excited to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for so much for agreeing to appear on my show because, you know, I talk a lot about, uh, you know, very controversial, very uh, kind of out of the way subjects, but I like to do it in a clear, thoughtful, scientific way. But I also want to bring back the kind of magic, the human consciousness, and I want to bring it back through meaningful, deep uh, interesting conversation. So before we get to all that, can you introduce yourself in uh, 50 characters or under? <laughs> sure. Um, I am Lois. I'm an artist and illustrator dealing with stories, world building, animals, or uh, mythical buildup of any kind. Uh, I work in a lot of mediums, uh, digital, gouache, you name it. I've probably tried it out or done it. Yeah. So uh, take me back to your titular years. When did you want to become uh, an artist and, and why, why? <laughs> what, what possibly inspired me? Um, so, I mean, like a lot of artists, I was drawing since I was a kid and I did a lot of like, uh, like middle school, elementary school, like drawing the horses, drawing the animals. Um, then I drew my own characters. Um, I started creating characters in high school, like I made a couple of animals. Um, I grew really fascinated with um, creating my own religions because I oh. don't, yeah. Creating um, your own religions, yeah. We'll yeah, get back to that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that and world building. And then in college, actually, I was stuck between choosing um, being an ecologist and being an artist. And I made the decision of like, I could go through ecology school, be really depressed and, but have a job or um, be an artist and kind of take a chance at it. And I chose, I wanted to do art. So I went to school, made up my own major in illustration. And then I've been freelance since I graduated. There was a couple of part-time jobs. I was like, maybe I'll work in the law field. Maybe I'll work as a baker. And I could not do 4 a.m. and I could not do legal affairs. So I am definitely a full-time freelance artist now. Yes, yes. You don't want it to be, uh, uh, I don't want to say that name, but, uh, you know, the kind of a slime of the earth, uh, <laughs> being, being a kind of a lawyer or attorney. But, you know, you have to sell your soul uh, somewhere, but in different hey. portions, yeah. You yeah, have you smaller, yeah. Yeah, you have smaller per portions of selling your soul and you have big portions. And <laughs> uh, but uh, moving on, uh, yeah, but seriously, folks. Um, so um, what, what was your first kind of real authentic, impactful uh, artistic experience? What was your first revelation that art is a type of a, you know, a great medium or a very 
great way to express yourself or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so understanding that feel like having art feel like it was the um, communication for me or resonating with it. I think um, when I was younger, it was um, feeling the special bond when I would make characters or uh, draw things. And I would practice, I literally could not stop thinking about it. I would draw every day after school, other people would be playing games or hanging out and I'd, I'd be drawing. I mean, I did other things, but I, I couldn't imagine not doing it. It just, it was, I describe it as like an itch. Like if I'm too far long away without yes. drawing something or painting or making something, um, I get, yeah. I get really crappy. Yeah, you turn uh, to Mr. Jekyll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think if you don't like doing art, then you don't really have that itch. It's like whatever you like doing, um, if you don't do it long enough, you start getting an itch for it. So that's just the itch I need to scratch. Yeah, yeah, that's a great description. I also have that itch and I also, I paint, but I am a more modest uh, kind of a, a painter. I don't, I don't do a lot of, uh, you know, scenery and, and background and objects and, and life drawings and all that stuff. But uh, I just, you know, stay in my lane and what I like. Um, mm -hmm. So you said, you said uh, before in our pre-interview that you had a lot of experience or you tried a lot of things. You experimented with a lot of mediums. And mm -hmm. so how that uh, came to factor in your current uh, uh, reincarnation uh, as a, an artist? Um, I think it gave me a lot of springboards to jump off of um, having um, an education where I could try like paper making, jewelry making, um, ceramics or um, more digital design or um, tr more traditional. Like I realized I could not do oil paintings, but I also realized that jewelry makers work incredibly hard. So it gave me this empathy for other creators if I was bad at something. Um, but I liked learning, especially how to make my own materials. So paper making is like, I use that in my work where um, I try and make my own paper or I try to find made paper because I like the quality of it. Um, other mediums, like I have, my digital work has a lot of traditional values to it because I have that background. Um, or I did some sculpture work and now I like finding uh, things to paint on um, that could be deemed as sculptural or not exactly paintings. Like, you know, you could have a painting and hang it on a wall, but why can't a painting be like um, something that you can hold in your hands or something that, um, you know, like paint your cabinets to be a beautiful Renaissance painting? Or why don't mm -hmm. you paint like um, your light switch to be like different little tiny images that you can see throughout the day. Um, so a painting, it gave me the perspective of like a painting or a story doesn't just have to be on the walls. And honestly, because mm. of that, I hate frames. I hate canvas because of that, because I feel like it's incredibly traditional. I mean, it's good. Traditional is good, yes. <laughs> but you don't need to be limited by it. Yeah, yeah. So. When did you, can you recollect the, what, what was the moment that kind of uh, you realized you came into being as an artist? You were, you, you found your niche, shall we say, as an artist. Oh, what, gosh. Yes. Uh, I still don't feel like, yeah. I mean, that's like a hard, I feel like that's a hard question for any artist. Um, 
some people will always feel like they're an artist and some people are, will feel like they're always chasing after mm. being an artist, um, that elusive, like I am now a true artist. Mm. Um, and I feel more like an artist than ever running my own business, um, doing commissions for people, um, filling out their visual needs. Um, but being a true artist, like I still feel like I'm on the path of learning what that means or how I can become yes. even more of that. Yeah, I, my drift was more in the, in, in the way of like um, your general style because I see mm. a common thread in all of your mm. works and they are great because you try to, you know, maintain the things that work uh, kind of open outlines and to have a little bit more murky uh, color palette, but it, that is yeah. nice and colorful. So can you talk about your, your, your artistic uh, process, shall we say? That's a, okay. the main course. Um, yeah. yeah. So when I'm making my images, um, I like picking, I've learned to pick limited palettes um, because if I, from a watercolor background, um, if I choose all the colors at once, it does become murky. It becomes brown and too many colors at once isn't a good thing. Um, so trying to limit my palettes, focus on three and then start adding a couple more as needed. Um, I like starting out with um, outlines that I can fill one because um, I don't like just a, a shape. Um, I like having clear outlines, more of a graphic novel kind of style. Mm. Um, and I you think make when I'm building sketches, of course. I do. Yes, I either if it's figures or animals, I do like sketch pages first, and then I'll pick a sketch from there. I like and build it from there, clean up the lines. Um, but sometimes, like, I'll just go into it, which the the cleanliness in me is like don't do that don't paint it all at once and I'm like oh I'm gonna do it nothing bad will happen and then something always goes wrong being like oh my god um and you just have to learn to fix that and work with it and move on um and a lot of my artwork process is kind of in the moment like I plan things I have work with clients that I um go through planning process with but a lot of my personal work is kind of I get this like thought um in my head that just starts like bugging me that itch and I need to yes. get it down really quickly before I forget it. And yes. then once I have it down, either I'll sit with it and be like, what the heck was I thinking? And start playing with it from there. Or I'm totally on the wavelength and I totally get it. And I just finish the whole thing in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, dang, like that just, that Damn, went down. I'm there. good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the wavelength, I call them like wavelengths where like sometimes I'm like right in line with my inspiration. I can finish something. I get it. And then other times it's like, the wavelength hits me for a second and then it just completely goes away again. And I'm like, what, where did that go? Hold on. Don't go yet. Um, so that's kind of like the inspiration, the kind of start of some of my ideas. Um, I'm inspired a lot by uh, myth mythological figures. So like mm. um, there was one piece that I did called the Saguapa and mm. she's a, a Dominican Republic um, female mythological form. Mm. Um, it's a fascination, but yeah, it's a yeah. fascination between um dangerous women and nature and this yes <laughs> yes exactly um and also like this constant mythological presence and pardon like, my of... french <laughs> pardon, <laughs> uh, pardon moi um, pardon moi. there we go yeah um 
but uh, there's this, uh, not only in Dominican Republic, but in uh, these myth mythologies all over the world of like women who look great. They're amazing. You're so attracted to them. And then you get down to your, their feet and it's just mm. like missing animals, backward, tentacles, whatever oh, yeah. you, every culture has something like that. So like, those are the kind of myths I'm super fascinated by of like, why, why is this a constant yeah, human the thought? The myth, myth uh, women, yeah. The yes, tentacle yes, yes. part, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's yes. in every culture. You can see um, gorgeous women who suddenly, like, you look down far enough and suddenly you're like, that ain't a woman. And like, <laughs> it's in every culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It stems, I don't know, I don't know where it stems from, but it's very mm -hmm. interesting because, you know, that type uh, of depiction in the, the far past of human history, it was considered something that was good. You know, that women had this kind of uh, supernatural power. They were more communicative mm -hmm. uh, with nature. They were mm -hmm. in touch with the divine, shall we say, and they mm -hmm. could... Uh, you know, they had the premonitions and they were prophets and prophetess, mm -hmm. prophetesses, shall we say. Uh, like the Oracle of Delphi, it wasn't a, mm -hmm. a dude, but was a very influential woman, mm -hmm. yeah, woman that was, uh, that re received a lot of uh, gifts, a lot of uh, bribery, shall we say, in today's mm -hmm. terms. And, uh, you know, <laughs> It's like, it, well, I equate it to the kind of the mediums and psychics, uh, but of, of the past. But, mm -hmm. but I believe that their kind of uh, prophecies were a lot more accurate and a lot more realistic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just want to harken back. You thought you were out of the woods and you're out of trouble, but now you're not because you've mentioned... <laughs> Did you you invented the religions and some a couple yeah and that is very interesting to me so okay can you talk about why first uh, secondly are you a cult leader and third <laughs> and thirdly well are you do you have any kind of affinity to spirituality or religion in general um okay so first question um I, so I became interested in doing this because my family didn't raise me in religion at all. Um, so I was, um, we like they, they had religious families, but I was not. So I had even less than regular, like, uh, I guess American children where like, you know, they kind of get Christian references at least or Jewish references or something or whatever their family teaches. Yes. And I didn't know anything, um, so I kind of felt like I had this like gap of like, well, I mean, I don't know if I'm spiritual. I don't know what's out there, but I don't understand other references as well. Um, so in high school, I started like taking ideas either from myself or filling in voids that I had and thoughts of like, well, why don't people worship this? Or like, why, um, how do these religions work? So for example, and no, I'm not a cult leader. Although if people formed a cult yeah. around my art, you know, that, that, that was a redundant <laughs> question, of course, but it, that's, of course, that's yeah. essential. But, you have to keep people awake in this uh, types of format. You have to, people wake up, wake up their mm -hmm. new, 
because this is interesting. So uh, go on. <laughs> yeah. So I started thinking about um, like tiny things because there's not so much like um, specific worship anymore, at least I think in modern day religions, unless, unless you go to like more Eastern influences, um, which I've seen in other cultures of like, um, you know, you worship a specific area or you worship a specific deity kind of. Mm. Um, so for example, one of my religions and this one I made in high or middle or not middle school college was, uh, the worship of, uh, two-dimensional beings because oh. we, yeah. Cause we yeah. always worship three-dimensional or up like any religion is just like going to the next dimension mm. but I wanted to make um images and drawings which by the way making two-dimensional gods on paper is really hard to communicate because people are already already assuming it's three-dimensional um yeah 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 <laughs> but it's two-dimensional want... yeah yes of exactly course. um but I wanted to make something that people focused on of like, they already thought the second dimension was perfection. There was no complexity of the third dimension. Um, it was just lines and figures. And there would be a being that only lived in the second dimension. And the only way you could worship it was by drawing on walls or drawing on flat surfaces and leaving it there for that being. Um, huh. Yeah. And other things like I made a religion about uh, wind chimes because I like the idea of having festivals about nonsensical things again. Um, and if you made a new type of wind chime that this being, I called it the being of many years. Um, and if it made it, yeah. And if it, if you made a noise that it really liked, um, it re would reward you with a sound that you had wished to hear. So for example, wow. if you missed your loved one's voice again, cool. or if you, miss this thing that doesn't exist anymore it would give you Sounds that noise like a great manga yeah <laughs> um but it ties into the world building uh what else did i make i think i made i, li I liked making creatures that were kind of deities oh i did make a religion about um it was separated into three cults um of mm. that religion based mm. on one or two beings that were tied together in one body um mm. One cult wanted one being to win. The other cult wanted the second being to win. And the middle cult, which was about balance, didn't want either of them to win and just wanted it to be as it was. Um, so two types of change or balance. Um, so I did a lot of like studies and drawings about what these creatures would look like and like uh, just thought about that. It was just kind of like a thought exercise for me, I guess. So how do you manifest those uh, ideas that those uh, drawings or it didn't came into fruition mm -hmm. or it did, um, I don't know. Some of them did. Um, some of them I used for my exit show when I graduated college mm. um, with varying levels of success. Either people were like, I don't get it. Or people were like, I really like this, but I don't like to understand the context. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah, um, that's why it's great. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't understand it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of sketches. It was a lot of character creature design to see mm. how you could, I guess, build a religion around like a specific deity. Mm. Um, and I liked deity creation. I liked making uh, mythological kind of weird animals, basically. Yes, <laughs> I like it. I love it. Um, mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your obsession of the myth, shall we say. Okay. Uh, or not your obsession, maybe it's a der derogatory, but... Uh, oh, no, your... call it... I love it. It's okay. Okay, okay, because 
I remember I had an argument with someone, I don't even want to mention it because uh, about the, the nature of the word obsession, the meaning of the word. And I said, well, I, I want to describe it like this. When you say obsession, like you obsess over someone or you're a stalker or something like this. And she said it was, oh shit, I, I said she, <laughs> oh, I'm canceled. So um, that person, that individual, individual said that the word obsession has uh, one, one meaning, you know, there's someone that is uh, driven crazy by passions and mm -hmm. they are doing everything wrong in their lives and they are just obsessed about that one thing and they can't oh, let wow. it go. So, and I said, no, my art is my obsession. I said, mm -hmm. my art is my obsession. And said, and she said, it's very, it's no, it's bad to put it that way, to say obsession. Mm -hmm. you just- I didn't realize the bird had so much baggage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, it even has a, almost a negative connotation. I say, uh, mm -hmm. and it, it sounds uh, even, you know, more menacing in Hebrew. Obsessia, <laughs> obsessia, yeah. Obsession, okay. Yeah. Huh. Obsession, that does sound, yes. It's amazing how this, a similar word in different languages can have yes. different, like, yes. uh, I guess, motions behind it. Yes, it's, it's a borrowed uh, word, of course. Uh, <laughs> You know, from Latin, Greek, mm -hmm. I can't remember right. what, but I think obsession has uh, originated in Latin. If I'm not mistaken, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to uh, your obsession with myth, mm -hmm. I have the green light to call it obsession. And uh, can you exp <laughs> expand upon that idea? When, when did your passion for myth and your interests in all those kind of uh, universal concepts, all different types mm -hmm. of spirits and deities. Mm -hmm. and when did it originate? Yeah. Well, let's see. I knew, so when I originally made art, like when I was young, um, like a kid, I would make my own characters. Um, and as a lot of artists know, when you start making your own characters, they need a world to be in. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, general worlds like you know the world around us and I think me making my own myths was my own form of escapism like I could make up these worlds and make up these places that my characters could be in because I already lived in real life I didn't want to make them based in real life yes um <laughs> which it's I've seen a lot of everybody should uh, live in real life yeah <laughs> <laughs> right it's yeah, preferable I'm, I'm it's uh, yeah. preferable yeah <laughs> i'm here in real life but i want to give my character something else because i'm already experiencing this um so i started and i really like um i guess the format i've always liked reading like fantasy stories and fiction stories yeah and i yeah. would always be curious Ditto. about like yeah. well yeah and where do they come from because they all kind of some of them have the same kind of storyline so following that thread of like all right so original stories where do they come from and you know Mm. they get older and older to myths um like the king arthur uh, arthur myths or um if you read any of like the disney movies they all come from like stories from like uh german storytellers who would collect them from villagers yes. uh, and apparently they're pretty brutal jury's still out of yeah. yes brude. exactly yeah. um 
And then I became fascinated since with, so I was young when I was going through all those fantasies and myths and stuff like that. And I got pretty tired. By the time I got to the end of high school, I was pretty tired of European centric myths because um, yeah, that's, me too. you know, it's very, yeah. it's very centric on that. Um, it's so very started, centric. <laughs> of yes. <course. laughs> um, and it started, I started looking at other cultures because when I was a child, my Nana gave me um, the monkey king stories um, oh, that are in yeah. Chinese myth. Um, the problem was it was in Chinese. So, well, not the problem. It was an original Chinese. So I you're, couldn't. You're talking it. about the journey to the West, of course. Exactly. Um, so I would read that book. It was, it was fully illustrated. Mm, and I'd read cool. that book, but I couldn't understand it because it was in uh, Mandarin, I guess. Um, oh, oh, she gave you the OG copy. Yeah, that. She did, which was great. Um, and so then I went back to that book looking at those myths about like, okay, so what, what's up with the Monkey King and the Journey to the West? Like, who are all these characters? Um, and then I got went out from there of like, um, I became really interested, like uh, the Balinese have fascinating um cultural myths about like um I can't remember her name right now but like this giant lion dog and then like a witch that comes around every season um and then like there's uh, island myths about uh certain like uh little deities that live in like coconut trees or like in the ocean like the ocean is a huge mythological um ground to look into and so that's so I became really fascinated in ancient myths and cultures um not so ancient, I guess, like non-Eurocentric cultures. Um, and then from there, I started wanting to make my, I started seeing holes in things of like, well, you know, we don't worship this anymore. Or, you know, what if we did worship like time or dimensions or like, but in a different way, or I don't know, something as benign as like, I worked in a restaurant for a while and I was like, what if there's a deity that waitresses could pray to when they're really pissed off? <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah. things like that. Like, why don't we have Monday deities of like, oh, many armed waitress, please give me the patience to yes. not smack this customer upside the head. Um, <laughs> yes, I want to see that movie, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> that will be interesting. Like, a, yeah, like a waitress uh, opening a, a cult, uh, inviting in all those, uh, kind of, uh, you know, bitter uh, waitresses. <laughs> <trying> <laughs> Yeah, making their own. Trying to take down the system, yeah, through the worship yeah. of the uh, the daily that demands the blood of the you know the, the unruly guilty. customer yeah. or the the yeah or the money stealing manager or stuff like that. Yeah, yes, all yes, uh, so money grabbing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so then I'm, yeah. I want to find holes in I guess modern day like what we do today and like what if we did have ancient deities of that or modern deities. So like that's that's how it kind of formed into making my own religions is like, well, why, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I just, I just got really uh, deep into, because I took a course in uh, uh, Hinduism, an introduction to Hinduism and university. And what I was very intrigued, but the lecture, the lecturer, uh, he said, that there are perhaps uh, 38 million different kinds of de deities in <sighs> Hinduism. And I said, it can't be, it's not possible, no way. And then I got into some reading and I'm saying, well, well, it is, <laughs> it, it actually <laughs> is, yeah, it's, it's oh, a lot. Awesome. 
it's a lot yeah to that's take what in. i love like every city or every town having like their own deity that they can worship or talk about and it's different like area by area like that stuff i love yeah yeah um so let's talk about uh, myth making and what do you think and i want to link it together with our discussion about art because you know there is a the kind of a casual uh, perception of art all the uh, different uh, commercialism and design and branding mm -hmm. and fashion they are considered types of a uh, casual art maybe they are considered crafts yeah there is there is a nice partition uh, mm -hmm. in the language in hebrew between arts and crafts and it's called yes. amanut and amanut is high art okay it's the, mm -hmm. the great art okay like a painting sculpting architecture whatever and then it's mm -hmm. omanut and omanut is the craft the craftsman is an oman and that's beautiful so yeah Yeah, so there are those kind of subtle changes, mm -hmm. but that partition doesn't seem to be an extant in English so much. Um, you have the, the crafts and the arts, and you don't know mm -hmm. exactly how to, yeah, go well, about the, it. So The problem is, too, is that craftsmen is almost just as respected as artists because a, a craftsman is like someone who is specialized in their skill, usually with hands-on techniques of like sculpture or woodworking or metal is like mm. kind of, or a ceramicist is like craftsman. Um, or there's this popular research it's in craftsman kind of style art or um, mm. design kind of work. So that's even more muddying of the waters of like, how do you separate yeah. um, someone who does art casually Um, versus someone who does it as a like full-time artist or like you know trying to achieve something more than just you know selling um and there's in English it's a it's always a little bit muddier there's this identity crisis of like well what do I label myself yes yes I'm a craftsman yeah of course <laughs> you make beer yeah <laughs> but, but um you know there is a the, between like, the the craftsman and the Uh, there is there is an equal I, I see the the emerge of, of craftsmen and and hipsters I see on the <laughs> and the same le sea level shall we say <laughs> you could you could say that of like yes. with um, the trend of hipsterism uh, there yeah, has they're been great people they're great people they don't have a single um, gray cell in their in their brains but I love them They truly do, yeah. <laughs> they are true craftsmen. They are, mm -hmm. but but none of them uh, are artists. Almost none mm -hmm. of them. They are true craftsmen, but it's yeah, it's not an insult. Yeah. Don't get me started on fluid acrylics or like the uh, the flow <laughs> kind of fluid art. That that stuff drives me up the wall. Um, there's there's a couple of people who did do it really really well and are actual artists in that field. But the majority of anything you look on, like I don't know, I think I. I'm, I'm going to get off topic here because like that, I would have a huge rant about like people who, oh gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> stop yourself if you can. If you can't, I won't stop you. But, uh, oh, I <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> and now for something completely different. 
Nobody will know that reference, but I'm saying it. Yes, yes, nobody will know that. It, it's so sad, but moving on to myth making and art. There are a lot of types of art and myth making is a, is a kind of a general, uh, as you said, a murky term, uh, which is, um, which I like, I like myth making. I like, you know, uh, dip, different terms like uh, dream uh, weavers, uh, stuff like this. It's a physical object, but it's also, uh, you know, a philosophical concept also. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. talking about uh, myth making, um, where do you think those kinds of uh, concepts come from? The stories, the, the ability for humankind to, to build uh, upon it, to build cultures and religions and a society, to build great nations. Where mm -hmm. do you think that comes from? Is there something uh, igniting the, the pyre, shall we say, of human uh, ingenuity? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really, really good question. Um, and it's part of the reason why I'm fascinated with like storytelling and myths is like where you, pulling back that thread of where does it all go to or where does it all come from? Um, I'd like to think that people have an innate need to tell stories. Um, either if you want to be cynical, either it's because it needs to fill in the void of not understanding something. And so wanting to cover that with something that they can explain and have experienced. Um, and or the comfort of knowing, like a lot of religions and myths are comfort, knowing that something is solved, something is told, and mm -hmm. it is that way for a reason. Um, like it's, it's protection against fears of um, just random, randomness and chaos in the universe mm -hmm. otherwise. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so yes. I, I have a lot of those thoughts of like, I think human beings are really special because we can craft stories. Um, at least proven like you know I don't, I don't know if a chickadee or some kind of bird is singing a story right now outside of my window yes um <laughs> but at least we can tell stories um and i think um with miss it's more of a question like um i guess it's also artists of the past as well because some of these concepts of like uh deities are way out of this world and it might yes. either because we're out of context for the culture now yes um or they were great wordsmiths of their times um, mm. who were able to have this inspiration, have this seed. And where um, where that inspiration comes from is like, I mean, I try to figure that out with myself. Like, I think a lot of my ideas come right before, like there's this trance-like state right before I go to bed. Like when you're kind of awake, but dozing yes. and your brain yes. is kind of going yes. through, um, I guess a shutdown period or kind of like, opening itself up at the end of the day. Um, a lot of my ideas come right then when like all this yeah, flood yeah. of information is getting flushed. Yeah, me too. Um, I find that yeah. the best, the most uh, kind of a productive hour of the day is a three o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, truly I had, do. Yeah, that's yeah. bam, bam, like clockwork, you know, you hit the three hour mark at night and you say, ideas just flow like an endless mm -hmm. river yeah yeah I've had yeah I've had times like that my my time shift around a little bit but I've had similar feelings of like going going and then oh no too many thoughts at once gotta gotta sit down gotta gotta do something um yes. but for that source of like 
um, whether it's more scientific of it's your neural pathways or, um, you know, like dealing with all the subconscious information you've had throughout the day, or if it's something more of like just this spark of inspiration that comes from whatever higher power of being, like whatever people have thoughts for that. Um, but for talking about myth creation and like, where does that all come from? I think it's a combination of um, great storytellers of the past um, from myths, hundreds of thousands of years of myths being um, misinterpreted or changed depending on the area. Um, and then also just this um, amazing human capability of telling stories and having all this um, information computing that then then can be kind yeah. of recombobulated into something new. Yeah. It's, it's you know, sometimes you, you call the, these kinds of uh, stories, they call them uh, creation myths. And I say, yeah. when, when you say myth, I think, mm -hmm. I think there is a point where, where you say, okay, you can uh, bullshit a, lo a lot, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a long time. Uh, you can bullshit a lot of people um, uh, for a long time, but you can't bullshit everyone all of the time. So mm -hmm. when you say myth, it's a kind of a, I think it's a, a kind of an ignorant uh, term because the meaning the myth has or the context that myth has in the modern world that it means it's a lie. A myth is a fabrication. It's a nice uh, concoction of words uh, that sounds good, that, that are pretty, that are logical, but they are not real. And at some point they say, well, some, I see you nodding your head a lot and I like it, it but I don't know what it signifies. Oh, it's me um, <laughs> thinking when I'm hearing words that I want to do a thought, I, I kind of like think back and forth with wow. the, the, the stuff that you're thinking. I'm a really like physically moving person. Like you've seen my hands move mm. all the place. So when, when I'm really thinking about something, I kind of like, yeah, I like move it. my head. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm so sorry. Continue. Uh, no, I'm done with my rant. Just, just say I just want to to make the point across uh, that there there comes a time when you say, okay, there is a myth, but there 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 is a myth that that's got to be right. Okay, there there has to be, but I, I don't yeah. believe we found it, but oh, we yeah. found a lot of. A lot of you know, uh, kind of interweaving uh, lines that seem uh, truthful or logical mm -hmm. uh, in the story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's totally that's totally fair. I mean, um, and I think that's a good uh, linguistics discussion of like myth might be an overused words and how do you specify what exactly you're talking about or um, in modern day culture what does myth mean to people when they say that word. But I do also agree that like um, the same thing I was saying about earlier about the Saguapa and like how there's always a kind of story about a, a lesson about uh, femme fatales and, um, you know, watch out. You have to make sure that who they are like there's kind of like that. It's the same yeah. thing as like um, uh, Noah's Ark, like in almost every culture, there is a great flood. Yes. Story. Yes. Um, yeah, and ancient, people's... at least. Yeah. For the yes, most part. And yeah. 
there's some thoughts in anthropological and uh, like social kind of social thought studies of um, there are those stories because in human general consciousness, like like as us as a population, there was a great flood long ago. It it might not have specifically delivered two of every animal to a new continent. um, But but the timeline is a a little problematic. It's. (laughs) It's very problematic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But there is. Uh, uh, I hear this from. I don't want to say kind of the people who are on the more uh, conspiratorial side, shall we say, the tinfoil side. But (laughs) I like those people a lot because even though some of the things they say are, some of the core ideas they hold are are practically clinically insane, but. But I, I like their their argumentation. They use they use the scientific method. They mm-hmm. uh, you know the, everyone uses the scientific method for their own ends. But it depends on the conspiracy. You know, Some are can, far out than others. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. No doubt about about it. And one term that they always use. Like like the younger Dryas, the end of the the ice age. There was this great catastrophe, and uh, the kind of uh, coronal mass injection. And I hear those words, and I'm I'm not a man of science. I'm a, I'm an artist. I'm a, a historian. I'm an English major. I, I don't understand that, and I and and I can see that it, it sounds like a, a a bit of a BS. But I can't prove it, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> so it's like so back in like history, you're like, well, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't know. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. but it's kind of interesting of like um, speaking about conspiracy theories. Like that might even be like modern myth making of like taking unexplainable things and trying oh, to cushion yeah. and say like make it understandable to a point yeah, where it I feels. See it, I see it like you know an academic D and D role play. So, you know. Yes. <laughs> It's you know you're just trying to be to be a, a game master. That's it. You're trying to pull your team uh, to find a logical ending, and you say, "Well, that tra- trap door and the dagger is poison, and you mm-hmm. you hit the you roll the dice, you fail." Uh, and I see it like that. They are from the same niche. They are just the greatest. Uh, magicians, the greatest uh, trollers, and I love those people um, <laughs> because they are men, uh, men and women of science, and I love them. Um, but I can't agree with with mm-hmm. all those things that are pouring out of their hole in their face. You know, it's problematic. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you're like you, you're just you're just like you just if you just turned it a little bit, like you know, we'd be fine. But you had to go yes. off the deep end over there. Like everything was good until you jumped off that cliff. And then suddenly I can't, I can't follow you on that. (laughs) The tribe will not follow you. No, we'll find another leader. Thank you. (laughs) It does make life a little bit more fun hearing those, like all the conspiracy theories. Like I sometimes go into dives with them being like, what have people come up with this time? And I'm just like, man, life is really fun. Like they have this drive, they have all these thoughts and like, you know, it makes life a lot more interesting. There are people that are just like, uh, you know, they, they are walking uh, main characters, you know, they make their characters, they customize it, they, yeah. 
do all those things. They just, they just tell themselves these stories and they, they embody that character and they go for it. I mean, they go for it mm-hmm. all the way. And that's what that, that reality will allow this kind of a person to completely negate their nature and their, you know, their society, their culture, their uh, up, upbringing, their education, they can, you know, go past mm-hmm. that. And that's the aspect that I like in all that craziness. <laughs> and that's the okay. aspect that I like people who yeah. can, you know, Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes you meet a true believer, someone who is completely authentic, and that is the scary part, you know. When you meet someone who is a hundred percent the character mm-hmm. that they present uh, from outside. Yeah, it's not. It's not a front. Or anything. You're nothing. just like, oh, you're serious. Okay, <laughs> this is not funny anymore. That's <laughs> scary. Yes. Yeah. That is intimidating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes, it harkens back to the question of art. What what makes, I'm going to ask a very controversial question, but I like it. I don't like the word controversial, but I like using it to uh, kind of annoy a lot of people because they know that I don't like that word because it's a stupid word that has no meaning because the world is goddamn controversial a hundred percent of the time and nobody <laughs> cares about that word nobody cares anymore like the, there's another word like this like contentious contentious he's yeah. uh he, he found in himself in hot water a bit mm-hmm. of the hot water like mm-hmm. what hot water there, are you serious it's softer. It, it's softer to say like oh no like Yes, he has been a naughty, naughty boy. You can't, you can't say this. Just say the goddamn thing. What it I, is? I would love for really. a news anchor to say that, like a news anchor to be like, "Uh, someone's been a naughty boy tonight, and we're yes. going to talk about it." Yes, twelve years in prison. He has been a naughty, naughty boy. Yeah, of course. Good. Okay. Yes. What's your What's your controversial air quotes question then? Yes. Um, okay. Controversial. What makes art great? What is the X factor that contributes? What is the correct uh, seasoning? We are on a food kind of a vein, and I'm trying to mine that vein because I, I like it, and I'll try to use it and incorporate it into the conversation more. So what makes art great? period you know we talked about this a lot in um university of like being well and that part of being great art is being a true artist and like all these like vague terminologies of like greatness or wonder or things like that um there's a let's see getting right to the question of what makes art great my personal view on it is that the artist behind it is authentic to what they're making because you can have trendy art you can have popular art you can have art that gets into galleries and goes for millions of dollars but it doesn't mean anything if it's surface level you look at it and the artist can't talk about why and you know other artists will disagree about me this is the annoying thing it's like hurting cats with artists everyone has a like different opinion on what great art is um 
but the artist behind it, like, you know, there's the, the stereotype of starving artists is real for a reason is unfortunately, even though it's terribly toxic way to think about artists, but uh, starving artists are people who do everything for their craft and everything for their art. And they just push it out there and they really think like really make things because they believe in it. Um, and I think great art, when you look at stuff that's in historically what's in museums and stuff, it's artwork that changed the idea of art in that time period, changing from mm. um, like first perfecting, getting closer and closer to the perfect human form as we talked about before podcast. Yes. And then art getting tired of that. So artists who changed the idea of going from trying to paint realism on a canvas to um, painting the human mind or the consciousness or the mm. question of what is art. And there's yeah. some art historians who really hate this artist, but Duchamp did change the game. Um, he did. Duchamp, and I know Duchamp. Yeah. Duchamp I'm sorry yeah. to correct you, but uh, I'm an artistic elitist. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah. My, I have a terrible accent um, when it comes to French names. Um, but uh, he, I mean, when he like put in a toilet with his name on it and people were like, this isn't art. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, he put, uh, no. he put the, he put the manufacturer's name on it. The manufacturer, right, he let it, yeah, he let it yeah. sign it. The, mm -hmm. it. It's ridiculous. It, it came from but, a, yeah, a toilet, but he had no story. It, yeah. it, was, it was him questioning of, um, because he'd already yes. at that time become an accredited artist. People were like, this guy is a true artist. Yes. And so when he put that yes, toilet of course, in there, I know he's a great artist. I'm just playing devil's yeah. advocate, you know. You are. A, a bit. And yeah. there's a lot of art historians who do not like him because he changed the game for art because he suddenly blew up in the doors of like, well, if an accredited artist says this is art, then who are we to tell him no? And now we're in a period of art where it's like post postmodern or something like that. At where least. the question yes two posts where the, three posts four <laughs> posts i don't know anymore quad post modern art who knows um we're still developing i think we're still developing in that era right now of change so you know 50 100 years from now we'll have a name for what this era is um but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever that yeah. but um right now the question of is it art is out the window everything that you submit is art but why or mm. what was your reasoning behind it? Because, oh, so it's complicated for what good art is because if you think good art is something that's in a fine art museum in New York, then good art is what, if you have connections to a wealthy investor who will put a lot of yes. money and yes. baggage behind your art, which is one form of art. Yeah, um, from the good, Guggenheim family, maybe. Family exactly. fortune. Yes. Um, or maybe you're an artist who's ahead on technology and you do NFTs and you make like millions of dollars on that, like that one artist did. Yes. Um, or maybe you're a popular uh, social media mogul. Like there's a lot of artists who have like on Instagram, they have like a million or 500K followers and they make art that people love, but are they, is that good art? I mean, they have a huge fan base. So my, so that, that's like the terminology of like successful made it good art will be in museums. Um, and there's also technology of like, I went to the Whitney biannual, like, I don't know, mm. four years ago, I think. Mm. And the artists at the time were really mixing technology and art together. They were going like one guy, and this was really hard to see, 
he had virtual reality goggles where he made a program where you could um, beat someone up. Like you had a bat and you could beat someone up as much as you wanted in the museum. Um, wow. And you heard, you heard all the sounds. You take the glasses off and then you really... <laughs> And yeah, and you see, but you're, he gave you this choice. It's like, is this person, this person is not real. So you can be as violent as you want right now yes. um, in a museum, but you know, like people will see you like what, like watching this and you will hear a real person yelling and screaming. Like that's, Damn. that's part of it. Yeah. And that was, that was really hard to be a part of, but like that kind of art is moving past the canvas, moving past painting and into making people artwork or making you know, like involving people more in the process. Um, mm. And, but for my personal opinion about what good art is or like what is the best art, um, it's art that makes you feel something incredibly strongly. Like I think art has failed if you look at a piece and you're like, I feel nothing. Like there's no opinion yes. because even controversial, like yes. really nice bad wallpaper, art, yes. <laughs> yes. Great wallpaper, um, grammar, art. yeah what do I call it? pottery barn, barn art? You look at something, it's a giant seashell and you're just like, yes. yay. Um, but so there's like a thing to that because even like art that you're like, oh, this is ugly, it's hideous, I hate it so much, but it made you feel something yes. um, really <laughs> strongly too sometimes. And I think that's Here's successful. Your bucket, art. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then there's beautiful artwork that makes you cry or makes you really think about it and makes you wonder about why they made it. And it, you know, it can go both ways. So mm. in my mind, that's good art. That's art that deserves to be seen as pure art um, is stuff that gives you an incredibly like strong emotion stuff that when you look at it, you can't, like I have something that I think was incredible art. It, it was collegiate level. Like it wasn't no name, someone who was just a student, mm. but I've never been not able to think about that artwork. Whenever I'm feeling a, like I need a reminder, I think about that art piece and I'm just like, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm, that's, that's good. I'm happy. I'm thinking about it. Now I can get back to work. Yeah. So uh, on that, uh, can you, I'm going to ask another kind of uh, not, uh, not, not uh, uh, blank. Yeah. Conversation, but a, con a question. Um, so, what is uh, what is your favorite favorite piece of art? Um, okay, so I'm going for a traditionalist point then, but um, and probably also a lot of people have it. But it is Van Gogh, Van Gogh entirely, um, and mm. not just his Starry Night, um, but specifically he, whenever he would write letters to his brother. He would put yes. sketches in. Yes. Um, yes. And I got to see those um, oh, in a museum. Nice. I know it was it was yes. a not often collection because his sketches his sketches and those pages are very delicate, so they don't show him very often. Um, wow. But he he would use a um, I think I actually have it. Oh here, um, he would use these bamboo pens. So wow. what I'm showing is like a piece of bamboo that's cut, and then you Ooh. can see the tip like this and it has notches in it to hold the ink. And I didn't clean mine, so it has dried ink on it. But this is what he would use to sketch um, because it was cheap and easy to do yourself where you could just cut it. Um, and he, he has these beautiful controlled lines of like his, um, these scenes that he was drawing or what he was thinking of. And you can see how his paint strokes are inspired by those strokes later. And 
Um, I like those specifically because one, he took the time. I mean, that's how he wrote to people at the time, but he would send sketches to his brother. Um, and two, because I really, really like seeing the process work of artists, um, not the finished pieces so much, because you yes. can look at those anytime. Yeah, but yeah, and um, well, I did, I did get to see Starry Night and I did cry when I saw it. Um, wow. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was just like incredible. There were colors, like photos can't give it justice of how many colors are in Starry Night. Um, there are colors that you cannot see in a photo that were on the painting. And like mm -hmm. the um, the spires that you see, that are supposed to be trees and stuff like that. It's not all black. It's actually got some browns in there too that are yeah. dark. And, and green you, also. And I didn't know that. All the pictures I looked at were blurry or not quite good enough. And yes. I got to, but the sketches well, let are- Let me tell you the Google images, uh, the Google Arts and Culture program has amazing uh, photos. That oh, are, that's good to know. Um, yeah, you know, but, some of them because uh, some are not photographed uh, as well. They didn't have mm -hmm. time because they, they cover everything, every type of museum, every, every type of artist, every type of period, every right. type of uh, movement. Yeah, and style. Yeah. That's so super cool. Still, I yeah, it's still cool as hell. Yeah. Have yeah. to check it out but the uh sketches were are my favorite favorite thing because it's part of like me seeing how another artist works and mm -hmm. their underdrawings like just like anything like you could see an underpainting or you could see sketches like van gogh sketches are like super important to me his line work is incredible his control and also he's kind of a for me like the general public understanding of van gogh is very tr like um traumatic i guess like it's sad mm -hmm. how they misunderstand mm -hmm. him and they make jokes about him losing his ear or eating paint and stuff like that. And, yes. oh, I have, if you haven't seen um, Finding Vincent, the um, oil, yes. the oil uh, painting Douglas, movie. Uh, Douglas, uh, what's his name? The actor, uh, Michael Douglas? Not, not Michael Duck, Douglas, his, his father. <laughs> what's his name? The one who Hi. played uh, the one who played uh, Spartacus, yeah. Oh, 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 God, no! I'm terrible at names. This is a terrible thing to ask me. Yeah. I will never remember. But uh, is it uh, Douglas from the Douglas family? Yeah, the family <laughs> tree. Yeah. Yes, but um, that uh, movie is also like one of my favorites because it's like oil paintings of like animated, which is like mind blowing. Um, but that kind of understanding of like making his history a little bit known like just like yes. again ranting about Vincent van Gogh and how much I love him and how people don't quite understand him or paint him off as this goofy tragic starving artist which shouldn't be um well I guess like uh deified at all like you know his situation he deified. made great art that's interesting deified. well he well like a I've lot of great artists were of, like of a human being being well at least not in the modern age being well deified. I mean you can kind of see that. Yeah. Well, like George Washington is deified. Like he's like a huge myth American mythological figure. Yes. I mean, he's real. Yes. But um, I got the drift, then, but it, but I never heard deified. In, yeah. Uh, ascribed to a figure in history. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, well, like, but I like it. Yeah. It's just modern people becoming myth. Yeah. Yeah, and like uh. Her, uh, the female artist who did the um, female flowers, like she did the giant 
Yes, um, Giorgio O'Keefe. So O'Keefe is currently being, in my opinion, O'Keefe is currently being deified because if you go see showings of her work, you also see like uh, pieces of her furniture or pieces of her clothing that she wore all the time or people having accounts of going to her house and meeting her for the last time. Like, and then like documentaries showing her like every scrap of this person they can find, they put in a museum to be um, clean and seen mm. and admired. Mm. Um, and her whole history is like talked about over and over again and like described in a way, um, either traumatic or um, kind of a messed up love between her and her husband or ex-husband mm. really. Um, so she's like, an example of an American artist yeah. who is being deified. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Uh, I got it, of course. But oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, you're not at fault because I just wanted wanted to explain. I know exactly what, what it means to uh, deified, but okay, I'll try to think about it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because yeah, I guess you can t you can say that Elvis Presley. And you know, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Matama Gandhi, they mm -hmm. are kinds of the deified people, but it's, yeah. you know, in the modern world to say that someone is deified, it is, you know, it's almost laughable, but I'm not saying, I, uh, I'm not. Uh, well, hold on, let me show you like kind of part of the podcast, but I have something that relates to that as well. Um, this was, I think I got this from MoMA or something like that, but literally what I'm talking about is like this little book of art oracles. So it shows different um, artists with like halos around them of their yeah. artwork and then something that they're holding. And it's basically, yeah. it's kind of like a, a art tarot card deck, which tells you like how you're feeling for that day. But I just love it for the art. But this is yeah. also kind of like deification of great artists as they have like, yes. kind of, yeah. Yes, yes. Is that a, what's his face? Um, uh, Basquiat. It is, yes. Yes, yes, yes. His work is awesome. I love his line work. Yes, I, I don't know. I never got, no, I don't know. I never got into his uh, world, but I understand, I understand what you're saying uh, when, uh, I never understood the, his kind of work. I don't know. Because I look at the lines and I look at, you know, you can you can laugh at people like uh, Paul Clay, you know, mm -hmm. and say, you know, th this guy is really, you know, taking you for a ride. He's painting like a little toddler. Mm -hmm. No, no, there's no, he makes no bones about it, you know? <laughs> Right. You can't say you can't say that that person tries to convey any type of uh, meaning or any type of a idea or concept, and yet, and yet, when you look at the painting, they are marvelous. He has great mm -hmm. lines. He mm -hmm. paints like he paints like a baby, not even a baby. <laughs> he paints like like uh, how do you call it? Like, like, an em an, like an embryo. He paints like an embryo. He doesn't have dead. hands. It mm -hmm. seems that he doesn't have any tools of painting. He just right. paints, you know, the most, the most boring lines, the most hideous colors, the, mo the objects that they are not, not, 
you know, look like amoebas and like germs. But, right, yeah. but when you look at the entire picture, you say, this person is doing something interesting here. You know, he sort of uh, scoffs at society and high, mm -hmm. uh, high types of art. And he perceives the, you know, the, the kind of old uh, world is very monarchic, very sexist, well, very colonialistic, like, yeah. Like the question of like, he is perfectly capable, like that, like into the modern era kind of thing of like, he is perfectly capable of doing these beautiful things. So why does he choose? Like the reasoning behind, like why does he choose to do this then? Um, because you see in museums of like, um, like when you see dot work or um, colorism and stuff like that, where it's like these huge canvases of one color, people are like, my five-year-old can do this. You're like, yeah, one, your five-year-old didn't do it yes, first. But you're not Rothko. You're, you yeah, will I, never be. Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, you weren't there first. And secondly, um, he <laughs> is capable. He's an accredited artist. The question is, it's not about the work. It's about why he did it, the philosophy behind it and the thinking of it. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see looking at uh, Clee's work, you're kind of like up close, you're like, why? Like, why? You know, yeah. But then why far away, seeing <laughs> the concepts and stuff like that. Um, but I think what I know of Basquiat is like, I don't know as much about him um, as I would like to, but I think it's um, he did a lot of repeating patterns and sketchiness. And no one, I think it's again part of being a great artist is like, um, Honestly, I'm gonna to hate to say this. It's kind of luck and hitting it at the right time too. Like we don't know if like, you know, if there are other people before Van Gogh who were doing it, but Van mm. Gogh hit the right time and mm. was also prolific. We don't know if anyone else is doing it because there were a bunch of other artists who were inspired by uh, Japanese prints who were getting them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We just haven't seen them work. So Van Gogh was the lucky, might've been the lucky person just do it. Just like Basquiat, just like, um, yes. oh, I don't know, yeah. So, yes. but uh, Basquiat uh, actually sold, you know, how can you sell a, a wall, you know, it's mm -hmm. like uh, you, you buy real estate. Yeah. So you buy the wall. <laughs> so it's very. So that goes into like IP prop, like on like uh, legal experience that goes into like IP property of who do you own the wall? Do you own the image? Who owns the wall? And like, how can you sell that? Yes. And then that. Yes, yes that no, is I'm just talking about the concept itself, like trying to sell that, trying to sell an art on the wall. It is right. very interesting to me. I think yeah. maybe even though, you know, the NFTs are not a hundred percent, you know, uh, um, uh, I don't know when uh, you don't have assurance that that work will stay yours. Uh, for mm -hmm. a long while uh, because you know I've made a, an experiment uh, just to see you know and I and I managed to copy that uh, an NFT you know uh, to oh, the really? T to the T you know every little detailed uh, original resolution uh, and I I have a an intermediate kind of a knowledge of technology and uh, you know Photoshop mm -hmm. and whatever. So I have an intermediate experience. But so I'm saying it's not, uh, so it doesn't prove that NFTs are not uh, any better or any worse than right. a, a kind of a physical object. 
or artwork, but it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know about that, that world, it, yes. Well, it's an interesting foyer of um, digital ownership because right now there is for digital artists or images you put up there, there's no way to protect it uh, unless you black, like put um, uh, watermarks all over it, which kind of ruins the image. Um, yes. So at least NFTs are, if not perfect, a starting conversation of how do you own a digital image? Mm, yes, it's. I think it's akin to buying a piece of real estate on the moon. I don't know why people do that. Or why? like a, a why do Scottish, you do that? or like naming buying a star to name it, or like buying a little piece of Scottish land to be a lord or lady kind yes. of deal. Like, yeah. You, you want to name a creator on the moon, but, uh, you want to give a, the, a creator on the moon uh, your wife's name as a gift for your anniversary. That is mm -hmm. ridiculous. You will never accrue that, that amount of money. Well, let's face it, you will never accrue that amount of money or finance yeah. to be able to go to, to the moon. To see Never. that, yeah, <laughs> or at least not not in our lifetime. Like maybe it'll be for your great great grandchildren kind of maybe. deal. Yes. Like I have a square inch that's mine. I can yes. stand right. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have a kitchen. Yeah, and a yeah, right. and the living room. Yeah, well, that goes a, into a whole, like conversation of like what sells. Like if people are willing to buy it, then capitalism will be there, or at least like any kind of economic engine will be there to sell it kind yes. of deal. Um, and I mean, if people are buying it, then someone's making money. So, like, if you're gonna fall for that, fine. Yeah. Make something someone wealthy. Someone is going to the moon alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. One person to get there. Yes. Yes. Well, I think this is a great uh, stopping point. I like to try to end on a on a high note. I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it, this is a high note, but it feels like it. I think. It sounds good. It was a really great conversation to have, and I think you asked really, really good questions. Thank you, thank you. Am I getting, uh, yeah, my my stripes maybe, or uh, maybe I get am getting an achievement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in terms of uh, you know, I see. I'm trying to uh, write uh, uh, articles like uh, scientific uh, uh, articles. Mm -hmm. academically um you know um what's the name academically yeah reviewed yeah oh peer-reviewed yes yes peer-reviewed i'm sorry i was banking no, yeah i was banking on the term um so peer-reviewed uh, kinds of the articles about about video games and i think okay. i think they are a, a, a kind of art it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, the, the emotional, the cultural baggage that lends itself to all types of, uh, you know, destructive behaviors. I don't mm -hmm. think it reflects on the pieces of art themselves, which are the video games. And I think I want to well, find two ways, find ways to go about it. Yeah. If you want to talk to a video game company, I'm doing work for an indie game company right now. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. oh. They are... They're very small, um, but I'm doing poster work for them, which is one of my like commission bases. But they're, uh, if you look them up, they're called uh, Vertical Shift. Um, it's like a VR video game. Um, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, cool. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. If you want, I, I know you're doing peer review, but like for art wise on your podcast, if you wanted to talk, yes. or if you need recommendations for other artists as well, like, um, yeah, I know people yeah. in a yeah. Right? I don't think in the Israeli academia there are a lot of uh, peer reviewed uh, video game based articles uh, that are <laughs> being published out there. So this Maybe will be not. yeah. This will be some well. Uh, yeah, there are uh, some people from the design part uh, mm -hmm. of arts, and those design people they learn they learn computer animations and stuff like this. There was a mm -hmm. a very great game I think personally that came out an Israeli game, which is uh, also a pride because Israeli prides itself on its uh, high tech uh, progress. And uh, what was it called? ingenuity i think you know it it's called grime oh <gasps> yes grime was yes. so good yes oh so that God. producer he came from uh i know i know the guy i knew him uh, from before because you know i it's a small uh, circle uh, mm -hmm. uh, of artists in israel it's a very small <laughs> so there mm -hmm. are only uh, eight million uh, people yeah wow. so the percentage of yeah, that's like uh, that game, like the aesthetic of it and the choices that they made and the like, again, like um, going, well, myths and stuff like that, like going into like world building into that kind of deal, like, yes. oh, man, just like, but like, what really you don't know that he is a, it's kind of a taking you for a ride because some of the characters names and some of the terms and the religion of the world, they are mm -hmm. based in the Judaism, all those oh. Although uh, they are they are Jewish and Hebrew names uh, all okay. throughout the game, so yeah. That's well, that's awesome still because it's like implementing like that's what makes great lore building is like using because like yes, yeah, yeah. Religions are already here. Like if you don't believe in any religions, and they're the greatest mythologies of all because so many people believe in them. But regardless mm -hmm. of what people believe, um, but if you take like that's how you make good lore and good because there are already good examples out there. So that's even better. Yes, yes, yes. So people who don't understand the names and stuff like this, uh, it's okay. They are all Jew uh, Jewish and Hebrew names that are representatives of different concepts, different well, concepts awesome. that, that are specifically to the Jewish religion. Yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't exist oh. in, in any. But if you yeah. do know it, it's like a great like inclusion of like, oh, I get this. I know what this is referencing. Yes. Like you feel like understanding that so it yeah. benefits both for like being seen as creative and being like i've never heard of this before yeah and then I, it kind of yeah. took away from the experience you know because i know all those terms and i said well the magic is a uh, gone you know a bit oh. but it's fine it's fine it was a great great game i never expected oh. it i saw the developer's name and i was ecstatic because i knew he was a uh, israeli and i knew him and uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've, well, that's all, well, and thank you for reaching out to me as well. I didn't expect, I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, thank you for liking my work and wanting to talk to me. And like, I, um, if you need any, I don't know if you need any like links or anything like that or um, social media, or I don't know like what your kind of process is for like developing the podcast from here. Um, no, we'll talk. Um, okay. Uh, jump into business talk, shall we say? Yeah. So, okay. 
I don't want to to drag the audience about uh, boring technical details, but you know they are not boring to us. Uh, yeah. But they, in the context of the conversation, I think it's uh, yeah, it's less uh, appropriate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to thank you so much, Lois, for this unexpectedly amazing conversation. That's awesome. I'm really glad to be on and thank you so much. And yeah, I'm just, you know, I over talk. So thank you for letting me do my thing. Yeah, that's great. That's great that you over talk, uh, over talk as much as you can talk as much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for watching and we'll see you. I don't know, wherever I'm not professional. This is not a professional space. This is a thinking space. This is a human consciousness developing experience in the participation of two human souls projecting to you. Okay, thank you so much.